We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings 2021 Zurich Classic of Nolens. DraftKings picks and preview different format than we're used to, but there are DraftKings contests this week for the first time ever at the Zurich Classic. You want to play in the PME Listeners League? The link is in the description of the video and podcast. There are very few spots left, so if you are interested in playing DraftKings contests this week, you might as well play in the best tournament on DraftKings. Also, smash the like button to the episode in the comment section. Give me your favorite sleeper team below $7,000. Remember to subscribe to both Mayo Media Network on YouTube or the podcast under the Pat Mayo Experience, wherever you download your podcast. And join the newsletter. That's where I'll be putting out my bets this week. Uh, as there's no live show on Wednesday uh, where I kind of finalize everything. And check out the European Tour Pick Show. Sky coming off a big winner. He has a 1,000 to 1 pick this week, which I've already bet. So I'm looking forward to losing money along with Tom and Sky on the European Pick Show. But honest to God, the European field is probably a bit more fun this week than the actual Zurich Classic field. Uh, although, I do want to give a special shout out to Moose. FantasyNational.com. You know I always talk about FantasyNational.com. Uh, Moose puts in a lot of work behind the scenes, and this week really fucked everything up, uh, just with the new format, trying to calculate everything. So if you go to fantasynational.com slash mayo right now, you'll get yourself your 20% off. But he has rigged the simulator that, because on DraftKings this week, you can only take one player from each team, and you get the total points of that team. I don't know why that's the case, but... Actually, I do know why that's the case. That just makes it much easier to track and doesn't overload their systems. But here's the note from Moose. He said, the favorites, when you favorite players for the DK Zerk, it's going to be a little bit different this week. In order to make the lineup generator and ownership projections work, we are only keeping the first player listed in the DraftKings pairings as your favorite, even if you have selected both players. So essentially, when you look at the ownership projections, let's say you took Patrick Cantlay and Xander Shoffley, only Xander shows up in the ownership projections, but it puts both of those 
those guys together, if that makes any sense. And when you generate your lineups, you're just going to generate one of those players through your lineups, and that way the system doesn't get confused. That way when you upload your lineups, it won't get confused. But strangely enough, this could be a very valuable week for a product like Fantasy National just because it's so confusing, and Moose has made this really easy. I don't know how many hours he put into this, and I was like, it's probably not worth it, but you, know, you want to make the product as good as possible? That's what Moose is doing. So shout out, Moose. Shout out, Fantasy National slash Mayo to get yourself the 20% off. Joining me, first time on the show, the creator, co-creator of the DFS Open. You can catch him on Mondays on the Preferred Lines podcast and Wednesdays on the Power Hour with Rick Gaiman live on the Twitter machines. It is Joe Iadoni at Torpix. What's going on? What up, Pat? Uh, great to be here. Great to see you. Excited to to be a debutante on the Pat Mayo Experience, and we've got it. We've got an interesting week, to say the least, for it. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited for it, um, but definitely threw some new wrinkles into the equation this week with DraftKings. I find that I actually do better in these types of weeks than overall because I think that there is a strategy gap and I'm pretty good at coming to the conclusion of what's the proper strategy like right away when I first see something and I'm reading the rules. That's an innate gift that I have. But then the longer you put that out over time and then other people can learn the strategy too. Just my picks are so bad that everyone else's picks are better than I end up losing in the long run. But I feel like this sort of week is actually where I can capitalize. So I want to talk through some of the strategy with you and how we should approach some of these teams. Like I even spoke with this with Feinberg in terms of the betting odds, but like are the favorites really the favorites in a tournament like this? So, I was interested in that as well. I kind of think that, you know, we've seen the favorites coming into the week actually struggle. Um, I think it was it two years ago. It was Reed and Cantlay together that came in as the big favorites. They missed the cut. Um, So in a week like this, I think it brings inherently in a lot of new variables and options in terms of, you know, there's, there's a luck factor involved and you've got to make your birdies at the right time. If you both birdied the same hole on Thursday and Saturday, it really does, you no good. So I think that it's a tournament that we can kind of look to isolate, at least my strategy, sort of that mid tier range. And, and you can maybe brush past the guys at the very top, but, but there are some intriguing names up there for sure. So Let's go to the very top of the board right now. Xander and Cantlay are the prohibitive favorites in this tournament, along with Raman Palmer. So they're 10-7. Raman Palmer are 10, or sorry, 11-7 and 11-5. Morikawa and Wolf are 11-3. Smith and Leishman, 11-1. That's your $11,000 range on DraftKings this week. Very rarely do you see for anything above $11,000 as it pertains to DraftKings golf. Uh, just looking at the very early ownership projections, and you can find these up on Facebook fantasynational.com right now. Uh, I would guess that the Cam Smith-Leishman team is the one that people are avoiding. Uh, the Morikawa-Wolf team would be probably the second lowest owned after that. And then Rom's team and Xander's team are going to be super chalk. I would just be fine fading those guys. Yeah, I agree. I actually, interesting that you say the Cam Smith-Leishman team is the lowest owned because they're probably my favorite team of the bunch. Um, Team Aussie, you know, you've got the former champ and Cam Smith, obviously both guys coming in in decent form. Leishman with a surprising performance at the Masters, both of them just top 10 at Augusta National. Um, They seem to me to kind of have somewhat of a a complementary skill set and similar in the fact that they're just both great scramblers and can get a hot putter. Um, And I think that if I was going to play anyone above in this 11K range, I'd probably take the little bit of discount with the upside of a Leishman and, and Cam Smith. 
The biggest thing to look for, and I don't know exactly how to find this, but can you find guys that are good at alternate shot? That's where this tournament is won yes. and lost. Everyone's going to go out and make their, like, if you shoot minus three in the best ball as a team, like, <laughs> you weren't going to win anyway at that point. Like, you're going to have to shoot at least seven under, eight under both of those days, like average eight under for both the best ball days. And that's still going to put you behind the eight ball because there's going to be other teams that are better, but you can really make it up with good alternate shot rounds. That's what we saw Rom and Palmer do together. And I don't think that's super predictive in any sort of way to try Like you could say both good scramblers. Well, that actually makes a lot of intuitive sense to me that they would be good at alternate shot because if they get into the shit, which they're constantly in the shit, that they can get themselves out of it. So that's a bonus. The problem with that team is they both have the same glaring deficiency, which is they're both horrible off the tee. And looking into the historic stats solo-wise, we used to have strokes gain metrics from TPC Louisiana. It does seem like off the tee doesn't really mean all that much here. Yeah, I think that especially when you switch to the team format, right? Because really uh, in the two days where it's best ball, you got to have one guy in the fairway. And if they make a birdie on that hole, it can totally wipe out the other guy's double bogey that he hit it into the swamp. So it's interesting. But like you mentioned uh, just a couple minutes ago, the all shot is key, right? That's basically where Rahm and Palmer won this thing two years ago now when they shot a 65 in the alt shot, which is which is ridiculous um, because there were other teams up there, you know, that ended up finishing in the top five that shot like 74 in the alt shot. So that's where you make up the ground. That's where I think a little bit of, uh, of luck and timing is involved in this thing. And you, you definitely want guys who, if one guy is particularly bad off the tee, you want to make sure that the other guy is able to scramble uh, and get himself up and down and make pars because in this type of format, you can't make any bogeys. I mean, it's going to be north of minus 20 under par. So you, you start making bogeys and you, you're, you cross them off the list. Would you target teams that likely have a higher eagle rate in reaching these greens in two than maybe some of the other teams? Because we've seen Bubba actually have some success at this tournament. Uh, he hasn't won, obviously, but he's the sort of player that, you know, he's going to give it a go every single time. He's won this event as a solo player. It was a decade ago, but you know, does this qualify as a Bubba track? I think it could be, you know, that's a very interesting team to me. And I know it's right down in the next range, but I, I kind of wonder how this team came about. They're both have, uh, they're both really good off the tee. They both have a great sort of Pete dive track record over at the match play. You know, we saw what Scotty just did and Bubba has won that event before. So, you know, Bubba's played this event a couple of times with JB Holmes and ended up top fiving here. So I think Scotty Scheffler is a big upgrade for him in the teammate category. Uh, but yeah, to, to sort of answer your question, um, I, I, the Eagle rate thing is Eagles for me are, you know, just tough to sort of predict and you can kind of look at it, but I think that for me, I'm more focused on birdie rates. Um, and there, there are four par fives out here, all should be relatively reachable for, for most of the field. So there will be Eagle opportunities, but you really got to put together a lot of birdies. And if you have a couple of Eagle opportunities, you get a guy that can cash one of those in great. So the historic Eagle rates from pre 2017, when this turned into a team event, uh, the second hole has a 1.4% Eagle rate, 2.1% for hole number seven, 0.7% for number 11. So that one's going to be a bit tough to get to. And then, 1% for number 18. So now maybe not the greatest Eagle type course, very easy holes, mind you, the four easiest holes on the course. Actually, no, number eight, the part of the, it's not a drivable par four, although it might end up, they might set it up to be drivable. One of these days, it's only 372 yards. Uh, it has like a 25% birdie rate, also a very easy, easy hole, but 
I don't know. I'm trying to figure out the type of player that I want here. Because when you go back and look at the like historic uh, results, like Brian Stewart is one here. Like, okay. Um, that doesn't... It, do we just say that any time that there's a Pete Dye course, like almost any skill set of player can win? I think that's a fair point. Um, it, it, it He sets it up so uniquely. And, and like you mentioned, the par fives, while they may be reachable, they're protected a lot of them by water and sort of trouble. So if you go for it, there's certainly a risk reward factor there. He usually has a drivable par four, like you said, but we see a lot of times, even on 18 there, I can remember the closing hole where guys will just end up sort of bailing out a little bit short left there and trying to get up and down and potentially chip one in. Like, like we saw Kisner do a couple of years ago. So I think it, it definitely tests you mentally on a Pete Dye track. And I think that's where we can a lot of times see a lot more of the field come into play. This is a little bit longer than some of the other Pete Dye courses, but I still think that that there's a ton of different skill sets that could be in play this week should things set up properly for them. Yeah, it's not as long as it seems, though, because most Pete Dye courses, by and large, are like par 70s or par 71s. And this one, you get the extra par 5 or extra two par 5s on. And then if you just go take a quick gander at the par 3s at this course, those are fucking devastating. 221, 207, 216, 215. Like those are the hardest holes on the course. Maybe that's something to look into. Par threes over 200 yards or proximity over 200 yards. And I'm just going to take a quick guess that Morikawa is the guy who rates out the best in that. <laughs> you know what? I actually, I actually ran a model on Fantasy National with that stat sort of included. So over 200 yards. Now I went back Leishman. 36 rounds. I don't know what your sort of you go to you know, amount of rounds is I usually typically default to 36 and in Bryce Garnett actually rated out number one for me in that category. So yeah, it's definitely an interesting stat to look at because if you can make birdies on these par threes, you're going to pick up a lot of strokes on the field, uh, just given the nature that they're so long and, and some of the more difficult holes out there. Well, I can do this. I'll just sort by rolling report. I usually just go, I have my default set to 24 rounds because I feel like that does encapsulate Mm -hmm. enough of the short term, but not just like the last two times that we saw someone. And maybe that's, that's a very interesting question though. Like, because I mean, you've banked, you know, a six figure cash on DraftKings and you're running these models. Is 36 usually your go-to or do you put it down? Because I remember when Ruby won, uh, I think it was Houston when he hit Ortiz and won all the money that week, or maybe Mm -hmm. it was Wyndham, whatever it was. He had shrunk everything down to like the last eight rounds, like the super, super recent form. And that's where he found some of these guys who ended up popping. Like, I think that there's a good argument for short, for long and trying to mix the two together, but maybe just picking one and going with it is the move. Yeah, you know, that's generally my strategy. Uh, I stick to right around 36. Sometimes for things like putting, I will extend that out a little bit because I feel like that can showcase a little bit more long-term form in terms of, you know, you can sort of luck sack your way into a couple of good putting tournaments, but generally the good putters over time, you know, you will see that pop a little bit more. Some things like... um, approach number. Sometimes I will go a little bit shorter and go down to 24 because I do feel like uh, just naturally, just just playing golf myself, I feel like iron play tends to to come and go and, and you kind of get in a wave and get in a groove where you can get hot for say four, five, six straight tournaments and then it can leave you a little bit. So I, you know, it depends on the stat category, but my default generally has been 36 rounds when I'm using Fantasy National. So looking at it right now, yes, Bryce Garnett, number one over the past 50 rounds when I do the rolling report. So he probably popped up as number one for you uh, in the past mm-hmm. 36 as well. So the past 100 rounds, he's fourth. In the last four rounds, he's second. So he is just very good at holes from that range. Would not have expected that. Lonto, Wyndham Clark, 
Harold Varner III, and Mark Anderson. Mr. Anderson are the top five when you sort by last 50 rounds. And I, I just like to take the rolling report, look at it, be like, oh, you know, take someone. Actually, Leishman's like the best guy across the board over every range. Him and, him and Garnett, whether it's short term, whether it's long term, they're both great. But then you see someone like Seamus Power, for example. So someone who's had a lot of success with David Hearn at this tournament that he's 102nd over the past four rounds. So that's a tournament worth of stats. It could be, it could have been one hole that was of that length. So that's tough to parse. But the farther you go back in time, the better he is at holes from this distance. So he's 102nd over the past four, 125th over the past eight, 98th over the past 12, past 24, 14th, past 50, 16th, past 100 rounds, fifth. So his long-term numbers on holes from this length really rate out well. Now, this does include putting, so maybe he was just riding a hot putter for three months, and that's how it all ended up. That's why it's tough to use some of these numbers that also include putting into it. Like, if we could just kind of parse it out, and ShotLink doesn't have this, so we can't get access to it, but what if we just looked at off-the-tee play on par threes of this range and just looked at pure proximity? Or, you know, opportunities gain, that kind of thing. I think that's a stat that I would like to see Mm -hmm. them kind of delve out a little bit more. We just don't have the access to those numbers to be able to do it. It would be like proximity on second shots on par fives while going for the green. I'd be very interested in that sort of number because I know some guys just don't go for it all that often, but some guys go for it all the time. Are they successful and generate actual, like instead of using eagle rate, which could be a chip in from the middle of the fairway, you know what I mean? Uh, how How many eagle opportunities within like 25 feet do they actually generate or drivable par fours? Uh, how close do they actually put it to the hole? Because in my mind, like Morikawa is the best guy on the planet at short par fours. Uh, just every time that I see him win tournaments, it's because he steps up with a driver and just puts it to like 10 feet on a par four. It's like, holy shit. All right, that, that works out. But there are certain holes in a lot of these stats that we look at. But I do think that this is a decent one to kind of parse out to see who's actually good on holes from this length and whether that's something that's, you know, just recent is new or used to be good and is now bad. And to see if there's anyone just kind of across the board, who's great. And it does seem like Leishman, Leishman, Lonto, Garnett, Burner's been really bad, like recently, but long-term he's really good. And Brian Stewart, weirdly enough, is one of the guys who's up there too. Interesting. Yeah. I think you made a good point in, you know, it would be nice to look at these, particularly these, these drivable par fours and the par threes and kind of look at proximity there because what's sort of unique about them versus proximity coming in on a par five is you're all coming from the same tee box, right? So everyone starts with the same baseline, you know, the, the starting point of the race is all equal uh, versus coming in on those par fives. You don't know if they're on the right side of the fairway, if they're coming from the rough, if they're coming from the left side where there's a little bit more room to shape something in there. So everything, while the data is is great and it's useful, uh, it's a little bit skewed in that everyone's coming from a different spot. Like you mentioned on the par threes and the, and the drivable par fours, that would definitely be an interesting stat that, that I would be very interested in and seeing who's giving themselves the most opportunities when they all start from an equal spot. Another guy who ranks up really highly in these past 100 rounds from this length is Scott Stallings, the guy who was the co-leader with Rom and Palmer, and his partner was Trey Mullenix that year. So that 
probably what did that. I think they shot 77 in the alternate shot versus the 65. So when you look at it, it's like, oh, yeah, they didn't finish well at all. But they were actually the co-leaders going into the final round. So that's kind of intriguing as well. Tyler Duncan is another player who's really good from that range. Lebiota is really good from that range. I believe he has a top five at this event with his partner in the past. So maybe this is kind of the key to start narrowing in on. Maybe this stat in particular means a lot more than maybe I gave it some credit for. But let's talk about the 10K guys on DraftKings. So after that first little run, you have Bubba and Scheffler, who we talked about. They're at 10-9. Then you have Finau and Champ at 10-7, Horschel and Burns at 10-5, Hatton and Willett 10-3, and Kirk and the Todd father. At 10-1. I really wish Chris Kirk was paired up with someone not Brendan Todd. I like that team a lot, to be honest with you, Pat. Um, there are two guys, you know, Todd, while he, he he's seemingly fallen off from his form, maybe through the fall and maybe a year ago, he still made 10 of the last 11 cuts. So he's still performing reasonably well. You know, these are two guys who who are so close. Um, they were four year roommates in college together. And I don't know about you, but I was, I would have struggled to be rooming with the same guy for four straight years. Um, so they're obviously very close in that aspect. They won a national championship at Georgia together. I know that Brendan Todd was sort of instrumental in helping Chris Kurt through some of his personal struggles. So they're very close. And I feel like, you know, sometimes I weigh too much into this kind of stuff, Pat, and, and trying to read too much of the, the mental approach. But I do feel like in this sort of an event, these are two guys that maybe have been looking forward to playing this together. You know, they've been talking to each other the last couple of weeks, can't, you know, excited to play in the team event with each other. They're so close. Um, and Chris Kirk is playing absolutely fantastic right now. They both seem to set up really well. And when I sort of sorted this thing out on, on who's the best putting team, right? Combined strokes, game putting stats. This was the team that popped up number one for me. So I do have some interest in, in the Georgia Bulldogs down here at the bottom of this range. I can see it. I just worry that Todd's approach play has been, even though he's been making cuts, it's all because he's hitting fairways and he's putting really well, which could really come in handy with the way that Chris Kirk is hitting his irons. But in alternate shot, if Kirk gets him in the right spot, like is Todd going to be able to convert on that? And if Todd can't convert on that, now we're relying on Chris Kirk to get it up and down. And then the problems start to manifest just a little bit. But I do like your angle of these guys know each other. They've played together. They're comfortable together. I think there's a lot to that. It's the reason that I bet on Kisner and Scott Brown every single year at this event. Yeah. And you know, I mean, they've yet to win, but they've come second, fifth and 15th in the three years that it's run. And those guys aren't great. No, I know. Yeah. But like you said, they've had a run. They're comfortable with each other. They play at the home club together all the time. So this is a comfortable format with them. You know, I think in this, the team is really going to, to, I think, swing a lot of lineups here and the, and the obvious one to look at is, is Horschel and Burns, I think are probably going to be the most popular this week. I haven't seen the ownership yet. Maybe you can dive a little bit more into that, but, but what are your thoughts kind of on that team right there in the middle of the 10 K range? I wrote them up. They were the first team that I wrote up after Kisner and Brown in my column that just kind of jumped out to me. It's like, Oh, this team makes a lot of sense to me. And then it turned out I mm -hmm. was not alone on that sentiment that everyone <laughs> likes this team. I would expect them to be the most popular team on DraftKings this week, although the ownership projections don't show that right now. They show Rom and Palmer as the most popular team at the moment. But, and then like Chris Kirk and Todd are projected a bit higher. So is the Max Homa team. But I think that once lineups are actually submitted, you know, Billy Ho just won. He's won this event in teams and solo. 
there's going to be the whole narrative with Sam Burns being an LSU guy. I mean, David Toms was an yep. LSU guy, and he won this event. So I think it makes a lot of logical sense. I think they pair up really well. But let's not overlook the fact that Burns had a pretty good heritage. That's fine, but he was pretty bad for a while. Pretty bad for a while. He really lost it off the tee there. I think it was at API. Um, when Before that, he was coming in so hot. was the trendy pick of the week. The thing about this team, and actually when I went to kind of build a couple of lineups, is that 10-5 price point is interesting because you really can't you can't take anyone from the top and then go down to Horschel and Burns. It makes it really tough to sort of build a lineup unless you want to go with, with two teams way down in the bottom of the 6K range, which we'll get to. But if you want to take them, I feel like it's really got to, you know, almost be the starting point of your roster, which, which you're giving up a lot of leverage, I think, when you skip, you know, the top six teams right in front of them at that point. So it's an interesting, you know, dilemma with the price point with them. Well, can you sell me on why Burns and Horschel are a better play than like Hatton and Willett or Finau and Champ? I just think for them, Finau and Champ, I'm kind of crossing off for me. Um, I feel like their their skill sets are so alike um, and they're going to drive the ball as far as anybody in the field, but they both sort of struggle at that approach range. They're both not very good putters either. So for me, Horschel, obviously, we know how red hot he can get with the putter. Burns is typically, you know, he hasn't shown this lately, but had a little bit of bounce back at the Heritage, but he's typically a great Bermuda grass putter as well. Um, so I just feel like the combination of the form for the both of them would, would lend itself to be the, the most popular team here. I love Terrell Hatton. I wish Danny was coming in playing a little bit better. I've seen some inklings of form out of him. Um, so it could be an interesting lineup there and, and maybe a way to actually get some leverage if a lot of people end up gravitating toward toward the Horschel Burns build. Well, Burns too, coming in this week, he had the three really horrendous tournaments in a row at API, the players and Valero. And the 39th at Heritage just kind of masked a little bit. He had a nice weekend after making the cut, but he gained off the tee for the first time since Pebble. He gained on approach for the third consecutive event, but he gained over three strokes on approach. And he had been struggling a little bit, not gaining a bunch there, gained around the greens and lost three and a half strokes putting, which is becoming the new norm for him, which is really strange. Because like you mentioned, on Bermuda mm -hmm. grass especially, he's been such a good putter. And even earlier in the year, like he gained over 10 strokes putting in Phoenix in three rounds at Pebble Beach in that weighted event, over six strokes putting. Like we see these giant <laughs> peak performances, but he's lost four in a row. Maybe Billy can make up for that, but do we feel like Horschel may have peaked at this point? Maybe he's just kind of, it's usually like, before when he would win this event it was slow build slow build oh billy's getting a little bit better billy's getting a little bit better and boom he wins at zurich now it's kind of going the other way isn't it absolutely yeah and, and it's hard to really it, it, for me it's kind of hard to to quantify that match play victory yes it's a wgc win it's a it's a ridiculous field that he ended up coming out on top of but a lot of things in terms of the path to get there just have to go your way and it's not like you want a stroke play event against the best players in the world so i'm willing to kind of overlook that a little bit but like you mentioned had that performance had you know luck sacked his way into a couple of long hole outs last week at the heritage so for me, this team is a fade, um, and it's mostly just because of ownership, and I have a trouble building with them, and, and I like some of the teams starting a little bit differently up top. Anyone else in the 10Ks you think we should talk about? I don't mind the similar skill set of Finau and Champ, by the way, because it just takes one of them to run hot with the putter, and you're looking pretty good. 
You're right. Interesting. That That's a very interesting team. I think that they played, did they play the QBE together? They did. They came fifth of 12 teams, but that's all best okay. ball though. That's all best ball. Exactly. Um, I think that champ, you know, obviously had a great performance sort of at Augusta where he played well in the November masters as well. But I just look sort of at more of the the macro look at, at his form, and it just hasn't been good. There's a lot of water and swamp lands out here that you don't have at Augusta National if you miss the fairway. So if he gets them into a little bit of trouble off the tee, particularly in the alt shot, that could ultimately be their demise. The one team, you know, that, that we mentioned a little bit that I sneakily really like is, is Bubba and Scheffler. So I'm kind of thinking about starting there. I just feel like it's the type of team that's going to make you a ton of birdies. If both of them are aggressive, both of them are coming in with relatively good stat form. Uh, both of them are coming in with good Pete die form. And I just feel like uh, it's a very interesting team to me. Uh, and I, I feel like the upside is there for someone like them. So I think you've sold me on Leishman and Cam Smith. I think that's where I'm going to go maybe up top. The one thing we didn't really discuss whatsoever is the Wolf and Morikawa team. Now, yeah. I don't want to throw, I mean, Morikawa basically took me outside, planted a big kiss on my lips, and then kicked me in the nuts for 20 straight minutes uh, on Sunday at the Heritage. That wasn't great. But he was still excellent tee to green the entire week. Like he had a, I thought that he was yeah. going to come back and win that tournament. And the fact that he didn't win a PGA tournament leaves a sour taste in my mouth. And I know it does for a lot of people too, but that's not to say that he didn't have a good week. He did. It's Wolf that really concerns me, but he DQ'd the masters after signing the wrong scorecard. Um, he actually looked like, okay, for a little bit at the match play. And just, we haven't seen that much of him. He seems broken off the tee though, which is not a great thing. He seems totally broken off the tee. He seems to have lost um, a lot of confidence. And I think that um, you can kind of see it on his face, right? He just doesn't seem to be enjoying himself as much as he once did out there. You know, you had the DQ at the Masters, which is embarrassing. He had the incident at the concession where that was kind of embarrassing, where he was kind of pouting around and kicked it off the side of his, the toe of his putter the one time. Um, and his partners had some choice words to say about playing with him after that. So I just think that he's not in a great place mentally more. So the off the tee game has, has completely lost it with the driver. This isn't the course you want to be at when you have no confidence over, over the ball on the driver. Both of these guys they they have no course experience here. And I just think more cow, you know, maybe a little bit of burnout coming off the masters coming off a good performance last week. And I talked actually last night with Travis Fulton on his show and he said that he feels like Morikawa's got is a little bit yippy at this point with the putter, and he can kind of see it in a lot of his form. I don't dive too much into that sort of analysis, but when a guy like that tells you that he sees something that that looks very awkward in his putting stroke and seems like he's really searching, it's worrisome for me. And at the third price team on the board, I'm willing to kind of pass them up. Yeah, see, I don't necessarily buy that at all. Like Morikawa is not a good putter. Like we accept that yeah. with everyone else, but we don't accept it with him. It was like when everyone wanted to fade him at concession. I ended up betting him that week, just like, hey, maybe he'll putt well. And he did putt well. Yeah. And they're like, but you can't use him. He's going through a new putting struggle. It's like, well, he sucks anyway. What's the difference? <laughs> <laughs> and we see and we see the upside when he does putt well, or even when he puts level to the field in par, he has a win rate as about as good in the last year and a half as anybody on tour. So, you know, certainly I think that you put this back maybe four, five, six months ago. And this would have been an extremely popular and fun team to have, but just the fall off that Matt Wolf's going on. And I'm a huge Wolf fan myself. Um, it just seems to be, 
you know, I, I want, if I'm going to pay that price up there, I want to see something out of both players that I can, I can buy into. Well, this is not going to be encouraging. Matthew Wolf in the first round at the Masters because he DQ'd. I can't find the strokes gain data on that. Shout out Nelson for putting all this stuff together because yeah. obviously I saved it so I can have it for next year to go reference. Matt Wolf, round one at the Masters, minus 2.3 strokes gained off the tee, minus 2.55 strokes gained on approach. He gained almost three around the greens and putted well, and that like kind of saved his first round when he wasn't completely out of it, but the ball striking was just putrid. So I'm with you on a fade on that. Let's move to the 9K level right now. This is a tough one. So you have Homa and Gooch, who I do like this week, actually. Hovland and Ventura, I like. Grayson Verner, I like. Rose and Stenson, probably get a pass for me. Louis and Cheryl probably get a pass. Steele and Bradley, imagine if one of these guys finds their putter. They're going to be unstoppable, but that's very unlikely to happen. But similar skill sets on that team, which I do like. Then you have Peters and Tom Lewis, Sungjae and Ben Ann, Damon and Alonto Griffin. That's the entire 9K range. Like I don't think you would be crazy to just pick three teams from the 9Ks and start your teams that way. Not at all. I think all these teams have have potential to to win this thing. Uh, you mentioned Homa and Gooch at the top. Gooch is coming in playing really well. We know more about sort of Max Homa's form, but they are very close as well. I know that Homa mentioned uh, after his win at Riviera, and he actually credited playing with Taylor um, to sort of keeping him in a good mental space, and and that was very big for him, sort of mentally going through that final round where he was trying to kind of hold on and cash a victory there. They're very close. They're both playing good. They both make a lot of birdies. Um, moving down, I think that I'm with you on Rose and Stenson. I, I just Stenson has just fallen off. It's kind of crazy to see. And, and while they both had a good Masters performance, doesn't surprise me a whole lot. They, you know, we know the course history aspect and sort of how experience can play a pivotal role at Augusta. I would be looking more at the other tournaments they played sort of recently, and both of them haven't been great. No, I'm just looking at Stenson's stats from the Masters. Like he was bad ball striking. He gained about he get he lost. Let's see here on approaches and off the tee and around the green over the four rounds. He actually lost strokes in each of those categories and gained almost a stroke per round on the greens, which is a very atypical Stenson way to do anything. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> so I'll take a pass on them for this, but the rest of the ones are, I don't know. There's. Excellent cases to be made. Like, I know that Jeff bet Hovland and uh, Ventura, the Norwegians, but it just seems crazy that you can get a guy like Hovland, who's one of the best players in this field, for essentially a discount price. I would agree. And especially you look at sort of the pricing there correlated with the betting odds. I think that they have a great betting number this week at 45 to one, given the upside of Hovland. I mean, I think Jeff mentioned it on your show, but you're never going to catch him really north of 35 to one anymore. You factor in Ventura, who has the ability to make birdies um, and string them together. Well, was one thing that we've kind of seen from him. So yeah, I, would, yeah, I, I, think that, I would say that like his putting can make up for a lot with Hovland. If Hovland just wants to go out and strike the shit out of the ball, that's awesome. Like Ventura is all over the place, T to green. Like he's not good. But yeah. once you get on the greens, he is quite good. <laughs> I agree with you. I think that that could be a very interesting team. We'd be kind of interested to see where the ownership comes on them. I, I you know, I'm looking down at 9,300 and Keegan Bradley and Brendan Steele are definitely going to be um, a team that I play a lot of lineups of. I think that they set up great together. I know that they're close friends. They travel together. They play practice rounds together. And Keegan 
is dialed in right now with 13 of the 14 clubs in his bag, right? It's the putter that always holds him back, but he's driving it so well. Both of these guys are going to be in a ton of fairways. They're going to hit a ton of close approach shots. And maybe, I don't know what you think about Pat, but maybe this type of event frees him up a little bit on the greens. I don't know. Cause you can kind of, you know, if steals in for par and Keegan's got a 10 footer for birdie, maybe mentally it's just a different approach of let me go make this. And I don't have to worry about running it by. I don't have to worry about the comebacker. Um, maybe that kind of frees him up a little bit. I think that there's a lot of upside in that team. I think that's a really good point that you're part, you're playing off your partner. It'd be the alternate shot that would worry mm-hmm. me with those guys uh, in a way. Yeah. Especially if, you know, when Keegan misses the 10-footer by eight feet somehow and then Steele's sitting there with like, oh my God, I have a par putt that's way longer than, than if I would have putted. But if they both put it in close, like, hey, let's both give this a go. And don't worry about how far you blow it past. Just you know, get your read, hit it like you want to. Don't worry about coming, sh- coming short. Like, put it 15 feet past if you have to. Let's just get it in and try to make as many birdies as possible. I can see that from them. Uh, Keegan hasn't lost strokes on approach since last year's PGA Championship in any event, which is insane. Wow. Wow. That's going back uh, about 10 months now, so that's wild. So for me, though, I think my favorite team from this bunch is Werner and Grace, strangely enough. Werner's sneaky <laughs> turning his season around. Um, you know, you're going to have your bad performances, your good performances, and maybe that we just saw, you know, somewhere local to him. He's from North Carolina. They, obviously, the heritage is in South Carolina, but he gained almost six strokes putting, but he gained over five strokes on approach too. Like the, the driving wasn't all that good, which is a very atypical thing to happen to Harold Varner and just Grace at Pete Dykhorst is pretty good. No doubt about it. Yeah. Grace coming in, obviously got the wind down there, um, you know, a little South of us here, but Varner playing good off last week. I think that they have the ability to, to make a lot of birdies and that's really what you're looking for out of this range. And you got to hope to time things up well. And, and you just got to, Hope that everything works out in your way. Um, another one that kind of interested me a little bit was was Peters and Tom Lewis, and that you know we didn't really touch on this, but there's a lot you know for this being having the feel of kind of being a, an alternate field event. There's a lot at stake for a lot of guys here. Million dollar payday for both players, full two year exemption in your PGA Tour card, which is huge for particularly like these two guys. Players Championship, PGA Championship, Tournament of Champions. So um, I think that there's a lot of motivation for some of these guys coming over who are looking to kind of secure a tour card uh, and and play well this week. What do we make of Peters at this state of his game? Because I don't really know how to accurately judge him anymore because he was he was dealing with that injury, but we saw him at the U.S. Open. Remember, he was in contention at the U.S. Open and then had a horrible Sunday to take himself out of it. But, you know, he's playing Corrales and he's playing in Cutter and all these weird different places. Like, in my mind, Thomas Peters is really good, but I just might be overestimating his abilities at this point. Same. And I would probably defer to to your Euro Tour experts and Sky and Tom on, on a Tom Peters take. But um, the same with me. I just have a picture of him in my mind of competing at the U.S. Open. You know, when he was a debutante at the Masters, I remember him playing really well that week as well. So um, I just have this picture in my mind of a great driver of the ball uh, and, and can set himself up apparently with a lot of opportunities. Now, he, has he capitalized on those moments in his career thus far? Not necessarily, but I think that the upside is there. And it got a player like Tom Lewis as well, who was once the number one amateur player in the world. So I think that those guys could be highly motivated to come over here, you know, in the United States on the PGA Tour and perform well and maybe get them into some more events over here. 
So the Thomas Peters track record so far this year, so we can even go back this season. So he was T23 at the U.S. Open, T41 in Abu Dhabi to kick off the year. That was coming off the injury he sustained after the U.S. Open. Uh, Dubai, T27, Saudi, T10, Puerto Rico, T15, Qatar, 13th. Putacana T13 like he's lingering but he can't put all four rounds together maybe and Lewis just comes out of nowhere sometimes he's one of the most unpredictable yeah. golfers going no doubt about it I can remember at the WGC I think um one of them recently he just randomly popped up and played really well so yeah um nice to hear that Peters has a little bit of form coming in so maybe it's something uh, we can look to this week so I think for me I'm gonna go Grayson Varner is my favorite team from this bunch might then go, I, 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 I said, I might just fade all of the high price teams and just lo- overload and mix and match in this 9K range. Because I like the Homa team. I like the Hovland team. I like the Grace team. I like the Keegan team. I like this Peters team. That just might be the way to go. And we drop into the eights. Obviously, I like Kisner and Brown. I don't care how chalky they are. I'm using them. And then they're only 8,700 bucks. And then you can kind of mix and match all the way down the list if you want to. Like, there's enough, like, jabroni teams that I don't mind. Like, in the eights, <laughs> I like Kisner. I like the Hoffman and Watney team. They just play well together. They play well together every single year, despite the fact that Nick Watney is now, like, in year eight past being good. Somehow, they're still good together. I think that Kokrak and Perez are going to be super popular. So I'm going to go with Wyndham Clark and Van Royen. And then you have my favorite team of all time, Justin Suh. And Doug Gim at 8100 bucks, Like, just those nines and those eights, you know, I can fit four of those teams into one lineup and then start mixing and matching and then just take a chance on some of these 6K guys. Those are your boys there, Gim and Sa. I know that. Um, but that's a very fun team. Obviously, we, we talked about the two-year exemption on the line, so that's very important for two players like that. I agree with your take on Brown and Kisner. I'm going to play them. Watney and Hoffman as well. Those are two teams out of, I think, four in the entire field who have played this event every year since the inception of the team format and always played well. I wish that Watney was coming in a little bit better. I think he's missed like 13 or 14 (laughs) straight cuts, but Charlie's playing so well right now. So maybe this is, maybe this frees him up. Maybe he gets a little tip on the driving range from, from old Chuck and, and can figure it out. But Brown and Kisner are a definite for me. Um, And then the other one I was, I, I like what you said about EVR and Wyndham Clark, you know, when I, when I, when you combine both of them, they're actually surprisingly the longest team in the field combined. So they're longer than champ and Finau. So they hit it a ton off the tee uh, and they're a much better putting team than Finau and champ. So both of them, when you look at their strokes game, putting are much better. So I feel like they're kind of, if you're interested in a Finau champ at the top, this is kind of the discount version here. And I think I might, I might be a little bit attracted to them. Yeah. The, the big thing with EVR and Clark is going to be all approach play. Like can sure. one of them have a decent week with their irons? Cause they're both like Clark is generally very good off the tee and Clark generally makes a lot of his putts. EVR, you know, is the king of missing a two foot putt and putting it in the middle of the lake off the tee. That's kind of his game, but his irons can get super hot and they're both like sneaky good around the green. So I don't worry about them scrambling too much. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I I was wondering kind of what to do with around the green game this week, because part of me thinks that this course, it's going to be important because you just can't make bogeys like we talked about. But then on the other side, I'm like, you know, if you're having to get up and down for par a lot, you're probably out of it this week. So it's interesting, but they both do kind of have that skill set in their arsenal. I was thinking more in the alternate shot around the green because guys are going to okay. miss some greens and then because it's not yes. going to be like in the best ball where, yeah, Clark chunks one, EVR puts it to 20 feet. He can two putt for par if need be. So I think that's why it's good that 
it's actually kind of beneficial that there are no strokes gain stats from this event because I think they would be all out of whack because if one guy, especially in best ball, you know, if he's seven feet for birdie and you're off the green, I mean, you're just going to try to make your chip. Like it doesn't really matter at that point. Your only yeah. recourse is just, Hey, I'm just going to go flag hunting here. If I put it in the water over the other side, no big deal right. at this point. Right. So I think that there's a strategy element to like to that, even in match play, like looking at this strokes gain from match play, I think is a bit tricky only because there's so much context to go into the scoring of a particular matchup. Like if you're down five after five holes, well, the guy who's down five might start playing a little bit differently uh, in terms of how aggressive he needs to get on holes where maybe you don't want to get aggressive on. So I think that there's a lot of context stuff that goes into it that way. But in the alternate shot, both these guys very good around the greens that if they're have, if they're tugging their irons or anything like that, that both guys are capable of getting the ball up and down, which some of these like the Fina, like Fina's not bad around the greens. Champ has got awful. So that could yeah. be a real problem if Tony's irons aren't firing. Absolutely. Yeah. Interesting. You know, you made a great point there where the match play in this, the strokes gained data, if there was the available would be totally off because, you know, in those type of formats, double bogey doesn't really matter, you know, because you've got a partner. If you're going to lose the hole anyways in match play, go for it around the green, you know, try to somehow squeak together a par uh, versus a lot of the stroke play formats. They may play it a little bit safer and just, just get in for bogey and make it up on the next hole. So definitely interesting. Hmm. I'm just taking a look at Keith Mitchell here for some reason. He was 17th at Valero. Snedeker, I don't know, Snedeker was a chipping sensation at uh, RBC Heritage. So it was one good week with his irons at Valero kind of went away. And I, I don't like their combined skill sets together in the 7Ks, but oh, that's where I'm going with that. So I've mentioned my favorite 8s and my favorite 9s. In the 7Ks, we don't need to talk about all these teams. The only one that I actually have interest in at the moment, unless you want to sell me on someone, because everyone keeps telling me about Doc Redmond and Sam Ryder. Like, good luck with Doc Redmond. If, he, if Doc Redmond's the one who beats me this week, so be it. But Seifert and Neesmith, I just think when you run, like, stat models, like, this is the team that it's going to pop out for you. Auto play for me. I'm 100% in on them. That was the first team I bet. They're probably going to be in every lineup. I think that they're too cheap, 7,500. Um, they've, you know, Seifert particularly has been really impressive. And I feel like he's kind of found a little bit of a comfort zone uh, playing on the PGA Tour, particularly on Pete Dye. You know, he had a great run at the Amex, uh, pretty solid at the Heritage and Valero. He was third, I believe, at the Honda, which is you know, has some similarities to this, a lot of water, Bermuda grass greens, you know, Southeast territory. So he's playing so well. And Neesmith is just going to explode on any model that you run. If you're looking at any sort of approach stats, he's been fantastic with his iron play. Um, the approach in the greens and regulation for this team are off the charts. And if they can hold some putts, I fully expect them to play very well and be there. The only other team that popped out to me, just because one of this one of these guys has had a lot of success in this tournament in the past, and don't overlook the weather factor in New Orleans. We've seen some shitty weather at this tournament over the years, uh, but this team <laughs> came inside the top ten in 2019, and Laird actually came inside the top ten with Russell Knox the year before that. But Nick Taylor and Martin Laird actually kind of do it for me at seventy three hundred dollars. I probably won't be all in on Neesmith in Seifert, but I can see that Laird and Taylor making a few of my lives. I love it, man. I'm right there with you on Laird and Taylor um, back to back top tens at this event playing together um, last year. Had they not shot a 74 in the alternate shot day on Friday, 
they could have won this thing. I mean, they had the two. If you just look at the best ball days on Thursday and Saturday, they had the low round last year. So both of them seemingly go really well. You don't have to worry about them finding a lot of trouble. They both hit a lot of fairways. They're decent with the approach, and they've sort of found a comfort zone together. Um, and I'm also with you on being totally off Doc. I love Doc. I've been betting him forever, but he, just something is so bad. I thought it was going to come together last week, actually, and then he shot like an 84 in the first round. So, you know, when I talked to Travis last night, he lives up in that Ponte Vedra area. He kind of suspected that he's he's gone down this path of, of chasing distance, which we've seen Rory do and trying to get 10, 12 yards longer, and it ends up screwing up their approach play and what they're best at and their strength sort of when their strength of their game leaves them, it's hard for them to get that back and they lose a ton of confidence. So Laird Taylor, Neesmith Seifert are the two teams sort of in this mid to low 7K range for me, definitely. Any other 7K teams? Because those are the only two that I think I'm going to play. Yeah, I had a, a little bit, you know, I looked at Stewart and Knox, obviously Stewart with the course history here winning actually played pretty well last week as well. And Russell Knox is just one of those guys that I find myself playing a lot. Um, he's tough to predict, uh, but seemingly not in great form, but he's the type of guy that can that can get it back and get hot. So one of the other teams I kind of looked at, but mo- mo- mainly I'm going to gear toward those two I mentioned. Well, the interesting thing about Knox is he's missed three of his past four cuts, including three in a row, but he's gained a lot of strokes on approach in every single one of those events. That's only two rounds because he's getting cut every single time. (laughs) That maybe it's, you said he's with Stewart, right? Yes. That if Stewart just has one of his typical Bermuda putting weeks, he's going to be fine. These are new greens too. Since the last time these guys played, they are now Tiff Eagle Bermuda rather than the overseeded stuff, which they've had historically at TPC Louisiana. Do you think that fucks anyone up? Or not a big deal. I don't know. You know, I don't know enough about the agronomy to really make a hot take on it. I know that we've got a lot of Tiff Eagle Bermuda down here in Florida where I play. And in the in the courses that are Tiff Eagle are lightning fast. They're probably the fastest greens of any of the ones that we play around here. When we get regular overseeded Bermuda or past Palom, we get sometimes they're much slower. So I expect the speed to be ramped up a little bit. But like you said, weather has his predominantly played a big factor in this course before we saw the event shortened um in the one year i'm not sure if that's the year that stewart won it was shrunk down to 54 holes but it can get very rainy and very wet and soft out there so um you know could play a factor i'm just wondering that like because when we go to the sixes i like hern and power they've just played really well together especially an alternate shot over the years both really good putters i think that helps that if the greens have changed and their putting is really what keeps them in this is that going to mess up that team at all? I don't, I don't know. I'm still going to play them, but that would be mm-hmm. my worry with them. Yeah, no, I can see it. Yeah, anytime you change things up, especially to a guy that's coming back to a place where they're very comfortable on the greens, it can definitely be a little bit of a learning curve for them. So that would be a concern for me as well on them. But the price point is pretty good, and I think the upside is there. Uh, you mentioned that 6700 You can fit them into a lot of lineups and, and do some hunting up top. David Hearn, not a great track record recently, although he was 13th at Putacana and 8th in Bermuda. I think he has missed cuts at every other event so far this season. So hopefully the putter can show up for him. And Power just played really well on the Corn Ferry Tour as well last week. So maybe he's, he's feeling something. Tway and Kraft were a team I was looking at because Kevin Tway is only interested in playing team events, I think. 
<laughs> That's a good point. They're one of the other, you know, I mentioned earlier, there's four teams who have played this event every year. They're one of them and they've had some good performances here. So um, his form has been so bad, but maybe you like you mentioned that uh, getting back in a team atmosphere is kind of in Kevin's way's wheelhouse, apparently. Hey, he made the cut last week for the first time in 2021. So that was nice. He was actually second at the QBE shootout too, with another partner, I think mm. it was like Sabatini or something like that, but just yeah, Kevin Tway, ma- master of pairs event somehow <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting yeah so um there's some fun teams down here in this range and i think you're gonna have to unless you go with your strategy of playing a lot of the nines and eights um if you're gonna play one of those teams at the top you've got to really kind of look down here because they're so expensive this week at some of these these lower 6k range i don't mind jumping down here because i think it's a crap shoot to begin with like mark anderson and yeah. campos rate out really well for me i don't think i'm gonna get to them but chris baker the birdie maker and vince watley that's not a terrible team uh, i think baker is actually with malnati oh is he oh now, now i fucked this up who's who's whaley with then oh Gl- whaley Gleeglich he's with Gleeglich yeah Gleeglich but I like actually Malnati if we're looking for birdie makers uh, to pair with Chris Baker Malnati's certainly one who can get very hot as we know and rattle off five six birdies in a row so this team has a lot of upside there now now the the downside is is they're volatile right they have uh, 66 followed by a 76 so maybe this type of event if things align right for them uh, could be right in their wheelhouse the other team that makes a lot of birdies down here at 6400 um, and actually when I when I sort of combined the two players and looked at the off the tee stats rated as the best team in the field oh, believe it or not can now, I some guess of these stats are can skewed I, yes can I, can I guess is yeah. it Gellerman and Higgs it's not Hubbard, nope. Hubbard and Kaplan Nope, you missed it again. It is Andres Romero and Jonathan Vegas. So when I looked at the last 36 rounds, combined strokes game off the tee, number one team in the field. So unbelievable. Romero actually has a win here uh, at this course in 2008. Um, So $6,400. I think that they're a team, if you're just looking for guys who can get hot and make a lot of birdies, uh, could potentially make some noise. But like you said, anything down in this range is is kind of a crapshoot and you're just hoping things align right. One of the issues with Romero is how, where is he drawing these rounds from? (laughs) That's why I said it's a little bit skewed, right? How many, how many years are we going back for this? I don't know, but I went 36 rounds and a lot of the events like Corrales and these ones that he's putting together don't even have strokes gain stats that he has played in recently. So yeah, we may be pulling, we may be pulling really old data. We may be pulling 2008 TPC Louisiana data in his last 36 rounds. I mean, you might not be wrong with this. I'm looking at it right now and he played in Puerto Rico this year and came 30th. So that's not terrible. That's his only event of the season. He played two events last year, Corrales and Puerto Rico, missed the cut in both, played four events in 2019 and made the cut in Puerto Rico and missed the other three cuts. So it's, I think that's going back to like 2017 that he's drawing numbers from there. So, and he's only playing in like the shittiest events on tour. So I didn't sell you on Romero in Vegas, I guess. So we'll take it that way. No, I I mean, I got (laughs) to... It's funny. Like I got to see who is this guy playing with? Cause this guy's so up and down, but at his best. No. All right. Yeah. Burgoon and Lebiota, I think are a team mm-hmm. to watch out for. They could be dead fucking last. 
Not a question. But Lebiota has a top five in this tournament, like I mentioned. And Burgoon is like one of the streakiest players on tour. Like, not a problem for him to reel off eight birdies in a row. Like, he seems like a best ball master to me. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. He he makes a lot of birdies. He's going to be able to sort of provide them that length to reach a lot of the par fives and the longer par threes. I think that he plays pretty well as well. Um, and you know, another team kind of for me in there that I have a little bit interest in is is Putnam and Scott Harrington. Yeah. Uh, Putnam just randomly pops like he did at the Players, where he'll top five there, sort of out of nowhere. But I know that sort of his strength and Harrington has a similar strength as well. They're both great scramblers. So if you're looking for an angle this week and you're going to play, you know, these guys have got to perform well in the alt shot and I'm looking for scramblers. He was, they're both sort of the, one of the, uh, you know, top guys rated in my model when I searched for, for scrambling and the ability to make par is going to prove crucial in those alt shot days because you start making bogeys and, and dare I say you make a double, you might as well, you're out of it. You ain't making the cut. So if we do go to the top of the sixes, should we have interest in Batia and Piercy? I mean, Piercy's won this event. Batia's kind of good. I know. How in the world did <laughs> they create this team? Maybe they met on a 4chan QAnon board. Maybe, maybe. I, I have a feeling it was like one of those things where, you know, you're stuck on the same net jet that week and all of a sudden you're like, hey, let's play in, the, in New Orleans. But yeah, very strange team. Piercy, obviously, one with Horschel here, has the ability to get hot. And Batia, right? This guy makes a ton of birdies. He has that ability to just get really hot. But he his downside is, is he'll follow it up with a bogey. So maybe this type of format is good for him and what he needs. But yeah, interesting team at the top of the 6K range, but I think has some upside there. It's funny. When I looked at ownership, I expected that team to be uh, probably the highest owned. But strangely, it's Shank and Duncan are the two guys, uh, at least early on on Fantasy National, that are popping in terms of ownership. And I, <laughs> I have no interest in them, but I thought that was strange. K.H. Lee and Kyle Stanley, I believe they played really well last time it was here. Now, K.H. Lee played with Matt Every, and they came third, which is really strange to me, but I guess so. Rasmus Hogard is playing with Vaughn Taylor for some reason. I, I don't know how they would know each other. Isn't Hogard like 20? <laughs> Yeah, that's another strange one, exactly. But that's another one, you know, Hogard, you're not going to see him pop in a lot of the, the models that you run because most of his stats are coming from, from European tour events. But he can make a lot of birdies. I know that about the kid. He gets very hot. Vaughn Taylor is, is a streaky player. And then that other team right under them is interesting, or right above them as well, in Garnett, who we spoke about earlier, and Scott Stallings, who we spoke about earlier. So guys who are familiar with this course, who are familiar with the team event, um, who are going to be in a lot of fairways, a lot of greens, putt pretty well, play those long par threes pretty well. So that's an interesting team as well for me right there in the 6,800. Yeah, I think that you've sold me on the Garnett and Stallings team a little bit earlier when we started looking through those par three stats. And well, Stallings, like Stallings has been atrocious on and around the greens essentially all season. That's why you see all the missed cuts. He actually hasn't lost strokes on approach in any event this year. Wow. Love it. Love it. 6,800. So those are those are going to be my teams. Power, Power and Hearn, Garnett and Stallings, and maybe Kelly Craft and Kevin Tway, and maybe that Burgoon team if I need to go that low to fit everything else. If I want to play like four teams from the nine and eights, and if that's the route that I want to take, because I think that the only team I'm going to play from the very top is going to be that Leishman team. I think you sold me on that one. Yeah, I'm there as well. This will be a fun week, man. I'm really looking forward to it because... Like you mentioned, it's just going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Is there 
maybe a week where a lot of people are kind of taking the week off and, and maybe not as dialed in and, and building these lineups and figuring out the things, maybe a little bit of a competitive advantage there, but it's also the type of week where um, come Friday morning, it can all already be blown up in your face. So should be a lot of fun. Normal DraftKings week, right? That's a standard, standard operating procedure over there. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to put my money in and then I'm going to lose it all. And I'll be like, Oh yeah, same as every week. Here we go. doesn't matter the format. We're yep. good. We're, we're doing fine here. But I think if you feel like if you do, if you have something figured out about this week that maybe that we've talked about that you've picked up on your, like oh no i'm gonna expand on that idea a little bit these are the types of events where if you feel you have an edge i feel like you should press it a little bit yeah i love it and and i like to um i like to like hand build lineups i'm a little bit weird in that i don't max out contests i usually pick three lineups and i enjoy the part of DraftKings of of figuring out an angle and sort of making sure that guys line up properly and putting guys in and taking them out that's part of what what i love about DraftKings. so that makes this week a little bit of extra fun for me where it's i'm not just um you know putting them into a spreadsheet and having it export 150 lineups for me so i think this type of week kind of lines up well where where you can pick an angle and we talk about it all the time and and pick your lane on the highway and stay in it and whether if you're right you're right if you're wrong you're wrong you're going to be wrong most of the time betting golf but this is one of those weeks where you can hope to find the right lane and if you can align your team correctly um you know could prove prove to be an advantage for you all right, that will do it on the Pat Mayo Experience. You can follow Joe on Twitter, at Torpix. And Joe, once again, tell everyone where they can catch your work. Yeah, absolutely. So Monday nights, I do a betting podcast with Chad Ecker called The Preferred Lines. We do a live show on YouTube, Periscope, uh, Monday nights. And then Wednesdays, I do the Jock Market Power Hour with Rick Gaiman over on his YouTube channel. We have a ton of fun going through the closing IPO hour over there at Jock Market. Um, and that's where you can find me, at Torpix on Twitter. Uh, I appreciate you, Pat, for having me on. And this was a ton of fun. And I hope we can do it again soon sometime. For sure. No, this was awesome. I mean, for for two guys that you know have only really spoken in person for 10 minutes or so, I think this went pretty well. I got some bets for you. Here's some first-round leader bets that I'm going to be playing. Tway and Craft, 100-1. Okay. to one. Glee Glitch in Whaley, 100 to 1. Lebiota and Burgoon, 100 to 1. Hernan Power, 100, sorry, 80 to 1. Those will all be with the top five. So I'm going to enter those right now. Uh, and I have some European bets for you. If people haven't checked out the European Tour Picks and Bet Show, I suggest that everyone go do that because you might get yourself on Oscar Sanchez this week. Are you doing this with us? Is that the thousand to one guy? Yeah, that's it's the thousand. All right, I'm in. I'm so, in. As so, soon as we log off here, I'll get in on that. So I got Oscar Sanchez a uh, thousand to one with the top five <laughs> each way. Um, so that will be nice. I also have Oscar Sanchez fifty to one to come inside the top ten, and when they release those top twenty odds, he's going to be like twenty five or twenty two to one to be inside the top twenty. Sky actually did like mucho research on this by digging through the Spanish language article because this is a tournament in Spain, the first time ever at this course, uh, and found out that this Oscar Sanchez guy is like the best player ever at this one course. He's like the only guy who's ever played it. He's a thousand to one. And I think he's like the amateur champion of Spain. I think it's like last year or the year before, but he's using Google Translate, reading all this stuff, the real hard lifting. I'm also on, I tweeted this out earlier, but I'm on, the fuck's his name? Uh, the guy that I bet every week on Euro. Not Guido, Higo. Higo's 35 to 1, and Kurt Kitayama is 28 to 1 in on them. And then I saw Lucas Beregard was 300 to 1. I was like, he used to be good. I'll bet on him too. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah, love Kitayama. And like you mentioned with Sky, he's one of the guys that uh, that's hilarious. He was digging through them, but he's one of those guys I will blindly trust digging through the uh, Spanish articles. And if he's a thousand to one before I get up from this seat, I will make that bet. I'm in. Listen, I have money to play with because Sky and Tom were so good to me last week by handing over the viewers a 70 to one John Catlin winner. So I have a little bit of money to play with here Uh, for bets for this tournament. I bet on Watney and Hoffman at 75. Kisner and Brown, uh, I have them at 50 uh, for a smaller bet and then a bigger bet at 65 because I saw the better number. Apparently, I got too excited about the 50 to 1. And Gim and Suh at, what are they at? 60 to 1 to win this event. I think you can find better numbers, but those are all with the top fives, uh, which I thought was important this week for uh, for this type of tournament. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Crapshoot, uh, we'll see how it goes. Best of luck with those bets. Uh, I hope you hit another one. Back it up. Well, don't worry. I'm going to put all those guys together along with the each way and play like $1 doubles with either of them. And if Oscar Sanchez wins, not only will I win like 10,000 bucks anyway, if I can get a double with them, you know, a thousand to one times 65 to one times one more money than you think. Yeah. You'll be looking for a new house. You'll be quick to sell that other one. If you hit that one. Yes, that is very true. Anyway, <laughs> Joe, thank you for being on once again at tour picks on Twitter. If you want to track down Joe and for me, it's at the PME on Twitter. You probably know that already, but subscribe to the Pat Mayo experience video and audio uh, smash the like button for the episode, subscribe to the newsletter and become a member at fantasynational.com slash Mayo for 20% off today to get yourself ready. PGA championships coming up. So you might as well get acclimated with the system. And if you are looking to generate a bunch of lineups this week, Moose has done all of the heavy lifting for you program the site to make it compatible with this fucking weird tournament. That's going on this week at the Zurich classic. I'm Pat Mayo. Thanks for watching. I'll see you next time. Experience. Experience.